Nice. My thumb's not in the middle of the frame this time, too, so that's good. <laughs> Uh-oh. Thank lost you. lost your video. For That'll be back. accomplished. Hey, it's the Engineering Podcast. I'm Adam. I'm Brian. And I'm Jen. Yay. Thanks for coming by for another hang. And special thanks, as always, to our backers on Patreon, who throw us as little as a buck an episode to help keep this stuff afloat. Every dollar counts. I feel like I have to say that, and it always feels like disingenuous DJ shit, but it's really true. Like, we we make just enough that this doesn't hurt my wallet at all to keep You always sound depressed when you're talking about it, though. I'm always what? You always sound very sad when you bring it up. Yeah, it's business. I want to get to the conversation, but you got to <laughs> handle business up front. Give us your money. Anyway, throw us a buck. You can hang out in our Slack workspace and watch us make this whole thing, um, which is also really helpful for us because the, the little chit chats we have in there occasionally on topics point us in different directions that for us are more interesting. So uh, anyway, we got a guest this week. That third voice you heard was Jen Friel. Who Hi. We go, we go way back and like weird. <laughs> we do. <laughs> I ousted you as mayor of uh, the Sunset and Vine apartment buildings on Foursquare, and I asked to use your Wi-Fi. Yeah, because you were in some <laughs> sort of panic to fix your website that was I had down. Something was down, and I like legitimately needed Wi-Fi, and I don't know why. Like that made the most amount of sense over like going to a borders or going somewhere, but he happened to be the closest person that I knew. So I literally knocked on his door and showed <laughs> up. Tweeted about He's it the perfect person if you need help with your Wi-Fi. But exactly. And he had really strong Wi-Fi. And so I just sat there and I like it was able to edit whatever it was that I was doing. I can't remember if yeah, I think it was the site was down. It was something like super, super crucial that my brain was like freaking out. And probably uh, had to pay your Squarespace bill. Yeah, probably. It was something ridiculous. And it was, uh, that was yeah. a point of concern for a while with your operation. <laughs> well, no, now, but it's so funny because now I'm still on Squarespace. I'm so grandfathered in because I, I basically pitched Squarespace, which is part of the story that I'll get into. But I, I didn't have the money to keep the site going. So I pitched Squarespace to be like, hey, can I get a friends and family you know, account and I'll give you guys a shout out. I'll, I'll put like a little, you know, powered by Squarespace icon. They said, absolutely. No problem. Thanks so much for using our service. So I'm so so grandfathered in it says friend of squarespace january like 10th 2010 i can't update to any of the new squarespace features so i'm stuck with this website for as long as i'm on squarespace but it's so funny because it's it's like so retro and vintage it's horrible but i love it <laughs> the and also at the time that we met you were you were involved in oh what was it it was like ford was doing some kind ford of thing where movement. They, yeah, they'd given away a bunch of, not given away, but they had loaned out a bunch of Ford Fiestas with like fish painted on the sides and stuff. Yeah, Satine Phoenix, We that was part of our challenge. We had to um, come up with the design for the car. And my partner, Sam Proof, was good friends with the um, very famous uh, nerd gamer, uh, Satine Phoenix. And uh, and Satine was the one who, who drew it. But, but yeah, but I wound up uh, couch surfing and I wound up sort of, you know, using influencer marketing before it was called influencer marketing that was seven years ahead of the curve so i wound up bartering and uh i had a car from ford so i was like well f it why don't i just live in the car and i was able to get you know people like squarespace and it just all sort of turned into this 
year long, really wild, crazy adventure that Adam was a huge part of because my, uh, my fiesta wound up getting towed not once, but twice. And Adam very graciously helped me. <laughs> get that out. I forgot about that. <laughs> yes. uh-huh. Not once, but twice. <laughs> but we, so, I mean, throughout this whole time, we've been talking about the kind of stuff that I think gets us to eventually doing this podcast, essentially like the weird, you know, just your, just the way you explained that in terms of influencer marketing before it was influencer marketing, like watching that is one of the things that really, you were so early at the edge of what is now, I think this commonplace thing where like marketers, like when I was working at the ad agency, we would look up how many followers people had on Instagram and try to think about strategies of reaching out to them in order to promote whatever we were working on. It's such a normal thing that it's just built into ad agencies now. But it was just, it was common sense for me. So my background was, you know, I worked in sales for um, indirect uh, a cellular activation agent for Verizon. And, um, and I had been a model and commercial model. I'm actually still on the Snork Tees website. And, uh, and, and I had worked for just recently had worked for, you know, back in 2007, worked for one of the founders of MySpace, launched his startup called Live Video. So I connected the dots. I actually took a photo um, that I'm going to put on the site because uh, I, I put branded. I was like topless, but you, not, you can't really see anything. And I just put branded and trademarked. And I just picked up like that all of these dots were going to start to connect before social media was even truly a thing. I was like, wow, I can wear a shirt, take you know a screenshot of it, post it somewhere. People on my MySpace page can see it. And I'm like, I bet you I can get money for it. But I didn't know at the pre- at the time like what to charge. So this was in 2009 when I did it with Talk Nerdy to Me Lover. I had a friend charge over $12,000, which I'm good on him, $12,000 to create someone's Twitter account. That's it. No strategy, no like content development. He charged 12 grand for it and I was like, "You're a douche." And you know <laughs> what? Like people are going to look back at that and be like, "Man, we got hosed." And I just I'm not that kind of person. So I just I bartered in exchange for, you know, food, water, clothing, shelter, anything of that nature. And then in exchange, I would actually not only just, you know, take photos and, and post about the products, but I would actually teach whoever it was, um, you know, how to use this and what this meant in very, very simple terms. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I was, I was super lucky that it actually worked, but I wound up getting to 12 states with $10 to my name. I crashed the Grammys. I danced on stage with Prince. I then accidentally went on 103 dates in nine months, documenting the organic route of attraction using the OkCupid okay algorithm. And I mean, it was perfect timing. It was 25. I was having the time of my life. Like if this were ever going to happen, I never went to college. So if this were ever going to happen, it was right place, right time, right everything, right yeah, time in this space. Amazing confluence of events. So there was totally. a point in this period. There was a point in this period when I saw you and you were I was like, how you doing? You were like, I'm really unhealthy because I've been living on beef jerky as a promotion for 30 days, but I'm almost finished. I did. I called it the BJ diet and because uh, I love beef jerky and I actually discovered I'm anemic. So that's why like I love beef so much and like crave meat like an animal um, in the best way ever. But bottom line was, was yeah, I, I wound up uh, pitching this beef jerky company. I pitched a couple and they were like, I was like, I want to call it the BJ diet and I want to see if I can live off of only beef jerky for 30 days. They thought it was nuts. They're like, you're going to get scurvy. Get out of our face. Well, I found one company, um, Jed's Jerkies, that weren't nuts. And they actually gave me a 30-day supply of uh, beef jerky. But then to counteract the scurvy, I also got a sponsorship with Smart Water. And uh, so that had the vitamin C that was also required. So I literally lived off of 
beef jerky <laughs> and smart water or vitamin water. Yeah, it was vitamin great. Water. Yeah. Skinny, no, skinny water, skinny water. All these years later, I'm, I'm forgetting. Amazing. Really amazing. But it worked. And, but it was, but that was the thing I was, I, that's my personality. When I commit to doing something, I commit to doing it and I'll take it to a very extreme level, but that's what worked in the space because I was so honest about it that, you know, there was no like, you know, dipping your toe in the water when you give up everything that you own and you start bartering. Cause I had no idea of where I was going to be next for one full year. It was terrifying, but in the, in the coolest way, it gave me so much like true self-confidence. And I'm like, dude, I can live just about on anywhere and anything and be totally fine. It's funny to hear you telling a story about doing something like that, living off beef jerky and, and vitamin water or smart water, uh, in a time period now where if I just saw that in my Facebook feed or Twitter feed or whatever now, it would just be like, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> and you just, right? just past of it. course. Yeah. But this was seven years ago. And, you know, again, people, you know, I had so many different iterations of, of Hollywood and whatnot, you know, uh, wanting to work together. And I actually wound up selling, uh, a show to um, to MTV based on the intellectual property of talking to Amy Lover and the concept of bartering. But it's so funny. That's I just didn't know what the word of what I was doing was. And this was back in 2012, 2013. It's again, influencer marketing, but I didn't know how to describe what I was doing other than I'm like, I don't accept money because I didn't want, again, I didn't know how to quantify the value of what I was doing. So if I put a price tag on it, I I, I didn't know if it would be too high, too low or, or anything else. So I just wound up saying, I have to genuinely like your product and I have to really believe in it. Because then also too, I realized I would dilute my own audience. If I just kind of became a schmuck for <laughs> any company, then, um, then people wouldn't take what I was saying very seriously. So I was very, very, very selective um, and very lucky. But, um, but I just didn't know how to describe what I was doing. I just kept doing it. Watching you handle that brand is like, is the first time that I can remember being aware of this piece that I still preach to this day of this whole thing, which is just, it, it's, it's hard to do social media at all. Like it's always hard. The easiest possible way to do it though, is just authenticity. Mm -hmm. Like if you just make a, a stream that's around you being yourself and doing your stuff, yeah, people can't look away. Yeah. It's also and, too, because people are so traditionally so, um, you know, everything, especially now with Instagram is so fake and so posed. And so, you know, it, it's like nails and chalkboard to my brain, but it's like, I've just always been this person. Even before social media was a thing, I was, you know, blogging on my, my, MySpace blog. I've always had journals and even in my journals, I would take a photo with it. So I could remember exactly where I was, what I was doing. So I just literally pushed, you know, publish and, and sent all those thoughts out into the world, but it was, it was total samesies but I just can't stand, you know, exactly that, that, that inauthentic, uh, content people can see in two seconds and you're not really going to get people passionate about your brand. I always just say that the internet is the world's biggest bullshit detector. <laughs> like it just, it's got a hair trigger for like, no, nah, mm, not authentic. I'm going to go over here. But that's why you build such a, you know, loyal following, so to speak, that, you know, these people have been, I have fans still from live video. And it's like, you know, one, I genuinely don't take for granted that I end up in someone's feed. Like the fact that they've actually like looked at the site, they've spent time on the site, that means the world to me. So anytime that, you know, I'd be out and about, and that's obviously how we met was through Foursquare, but I would check in somewhere and invite people to literally come and hang out and they would. And it was really kind of cool because it was counterintuitive, especially as a female, you think you'd get all your creepy stalkers. But it actually worked in, in the opposite, where it was almost people were like, oh, 
she's going to know that I know where she is. Wah, wah. It, like you, you kind of took the air out of their tires. So I only genuinely had like really, really cool people um, showing up at, at all these events and whatnot. So it's cool. I Do you remember at one point when I moved to DC, you were like, you should meet this person. And it was uh, Ashley Crowell. Yeah. Oh, God. I still talk to her on Twitter all the time. She's phenomenal. And then completely randomly, another guy that we're going to have on as a guest who's an Appalachian Trail through hiker. Oh, wait. No. Uh, Zach Davis? Yeah, Zach. Zach. I, I love know Zach. Zach. You see, he was he wrote an article about our startup. It's not, like I meet I met him at some networking event when he was blogging for that tech company. Wait, yeah, Tech Cocktail. Zach wrote for Talk yeah. Nerdy Me Lover. Zach's my homeboy. I got him the sponsorships for the tent when he when he started his journey. I hooked oh, him shit. up with all of his gear. <laughs> I should mention that. That's Oh my that's god, this shit. is a really small yeah, world. I met him with Tech Cocktail cuz he was doing he was covering his mom is a therapist and we were building this therapy product. So we talked for like a couple hours about a thing, well, you know, that we were building at the time. We got to um, keep this in the I, podcast I, now. We got to shout out to Ashley and Zach. Yeah, <laughs> 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 Look him up on Twitter. Zach just finished through hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. Wow. He um, is a machine, man. I give him so much credit. He's just so smart and Ashley is so down to earth and so badass. And like, I have so much respect for those two people, but also samesies we met, you know, via Twitter or via social media. So let's back it up and talk about talk, uh, talk nerdy to me lover, the website, yeah. how that came to be and how that, cause that's kind of like the hub of all of this stuff, right? Like at the, t- you were, you weren't early in the wave of blogging, no, but you were, you were right there when it sort of hit a like a sort of a hockey stick of people started to look for blogs. Yeah. Other than, well, that was the thing. Like Huff Post popped up at the same time. So it was November 3rd, 2009 was when I started Talk Nerdy. I noticed I was at the 140 conference and I had previously been going to all these tech conferences working for Verizon. One, I was one of the only females ever there, which is phenomenal because there's never a line at the ladies room, which when in life does that ever happen? And then two, um, you know, when I'd go to these conferences, it was always middle-aged, you know, overweight men. And, uh, and all of a sudden I was at the 140 conference and we were talking tech, but we were talking, they called it web 2.0. That was what social media was originally called. And, um, and all these people were hot and I was like, oh my God, nerds being hot is going to be a thing immediately that night went home, secured the domain, had a basic blogger template. Nerds are going to be hot. This is it. I've waited my whole <laughs> life for this exact moment. Like, you know, when I was younger, I would, I would totally dumb myself down to try and date dudes because, you know, I would get, you know, into my geek speak and, and get very, very passionate speaking about, you know, whatever it was that I was into at the time. Cause my brain, when I'm into something, I like do so much research and I like turn into a little encyclopedia about it. But, um, but dudes thought that was really weird. And I was like, Oh, well, I'll just downplay this. And I'm like, no, that doesn't really work. So when this happened, I was like, I can be hot and like super smart. This is great. So, uh, yeah, I had no idea that it would wind up being the sort of adventure that it was, but it was in uh, January of 2010 that Pete Cashmore, um, who at the time was the king of social media, and I, to, to a degree, I would say he still is, even with the sale of Mashable, but um, but he's like, you know, the king of social media, and he's, he announced that he was going to be on the red carpet for the Grammy Awards, and I was like, well, every king needs a queen, so I'm just going to go and find him, <laughs> and I went on Ustream, I literally took a dress from my closet, a little bit of makeup, and wound up talking my way through six checkpoints. Not only got onto the Grammy red carpet, but wound up finding him within 10 minutes. 
Wow. I ran right up to him and I said, I recognized you by your jawline. I was completely in shock. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, they're so awkwardly. Because the whole time I started like a daily tweet to Pete where it was like creepy pickup lines. Like, is that your cute puppy going into the motel room? <laughs> like really like kind of slightly disturbing. So I'm actually very glad he didn't like put out a restraining order. But um, but Ben Parr was my, who's still my dear friend. Uh, he became the uh, one of the advisors on Talk Nerdy because he was so impressed. He's like, how did you do that? I was like, I don't know how I just did it, but I, I talked my way in. So, um, but yeah, but it just became, that moment was such a tipping point for the site because I really discovered that I was like, wow, where there's a will, there's a way. And now I have the balls enough to do something like that because I realized, okay, well, my worst case scenario is, is I'm going to get arrested for trespassing. I'm going to sit in jail, but I'm going to be the chick that, you know, didn't crash the Grammys and tell that story. So I just realized there was no downside to any of this. And I had the excuse of the website. So how far could I take it? I had no idea. So I just kept going. That was quite the adventure. <laughs> and that dude has an epic jawline. Right. I, I yeah, like, there's no right denying now. that. Yeah. I, I don't even know how to describe it. He's just, he's, he's the Brad Pitt of, of social media. He's so attractive. And like, I As just a photographer, I look at that and I go, Oh, that looks so good in pictures, but I bet he looks kind of weird in person. <laughs> he, he's just almost, he's actually almost too attractive. Yes, I would agree with that. Uh, the transition you talked about, like in terms of nerdiness, I think is a thing that as a woman, you, you experience a more acute version. But I feel like exactly the same thing. Yeah. Like 100%. experience of dudes regard for nerdiness is very similar. Like we were the ones in the back room playing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> and now that shit's cool. Like what? Yeah. I mean, obviously I thought it was at the time. Exactly. But I didn't think. For men, the shift was not that we get to be sexy now. It's that we get to be tough. And oh, so you get, you get like a different layer in the hierarchy of like, oh, wait, let, let us consult with the nerd on this real quick. <laughs> As opposed to, uh, why is the nerd here? <laughs> Fair. I didn't, you know, I didn't think of it from that perspective, but you're right. Wow. Okay. Because yeah, you're not the pocket protecting wearing Steve Urkel type anymore. Right, right. So, so having started that project, I mean, you, you, you know, trying to think how I would articulate it, like from my perspective at the time, you had just enough people. I realized because of your talk nerdy stuff that there's this sort of critical mass of users mm -hmm. in a community above which different platforms get really compelling. Like Twitter is still kind of boring for me because I mostly just talk to my friends. You know, there's a few other people sort of outside of my circle that I could call on. But when you hit that 20,000, 30,000 level, you start being able to just say, I'm in Detroit. Where's a good burger? Yeah. And you get, and you get answers. Mm -hmm. Like you can poll people for input and start having this really super compelling interaction that's just but i think for like what twitter did initially that was very wrong from my perspective was back in the day when you first logged in um the only people that they would suggest to follow were celebrities so as a user you would then tweet these celebrities and you would never get an at reply back you would never get a response so i was the complete polar opposite of that anytime anybody like one to truly like launch the site and get it out there um i created the hashtag nerds unite and I would do a keyword search on, um, on oh, goodness gracious, I can't even remember the program anymore, but, oh, oh uh, uh, Hootsuite. So I would sit there on Hootsuite and do a keyword search for anybody tweeting with the word nerd and then at reply them back, you know, with the, with the website and then put Nerds Unite. And, um, and everybody just kept sort of either following me or replying back. And I would sit there for hours and hours on end answering every single tweet, every single email that came in. So people, like, 
felt so much more connected to me in that literal sense. And then also too, I mean, it just, yeah, again, it comes back to being authentic and being a human being and not a bot man. You can't just put content out there. You have to openly engage with it as well. And that's something that, that I just knew to do naturally because, you know, it's just the common decent thing to do. <laughs> you just, you just summed up an urge that I've been having recently as Adam has kind of brought me into social media a little more. And, uh, I mean, I've always, I'm, I'm an engineer, right? So I've, I've been building things on these platforms and, and writing code behind it, but I've never really engaged on Twitter, uh, even Facebook. I'm not really that active, but, uh, we've been, I've been producing content on there. I've been interacting with people, but I've felt this urge to do exactly what you just described, which is, find something that's like really compelling in our space, like engineering, for instance, and just like go out and seek people and spend like a whole weekend just seeking comments and conversations and like inject myself there. Morning, noon and night. That's literally, but that was the best part about, you know, bartering and not really having, you know, especially when I was living in the car, it was the easiest. Mm -hmm. I would just sit there at Cafe Solar and I mean, morning, noon and night when, when you're that motivated that you have, you don't have a home to go home to, like you really do, you work a harder hustle. And I just would, you know, go, I would wake up cause I had to, when I was sleeping in the car, you have to um, wake up super early cause you have the walkers. So I would park in front of the biggest houses in the Venice canals like area, because I'm like, they all have security cameras. So if God forbid anybody like tried messing with the car one, which was hilarious. Cause again, it's a koi fish on the side with fiestamovement.com on the back. Um, you know, uh, but yeah, but I would sleep in the passenger side and I had to be up early for the walkers. So I would be up by like, you know, six o'clock and then I would go to cafe solar. It happened to be open and I uh, would sit there and then just till about noon, then drive all the way to Venice, take a nap on Venice beach, then drive all the way back to Cafe Solar because it was open until midnight, work until midnight, and then go back to my, it started all over again the next morning. But it was just morning, noon, and night of that hustle and that just, you know, they had they had uh, free water, which was one of the reasons why I'd be there. And then also too, I would check in from there. So people would come in and like buy me a sandwich or, you know, I, would, I was always taken care of miraculously. But, um, but yeah, it was uh, that level of commitment and that level of willingness to engage with anyone or any way possible is what started Talk Nerdy. Because in the literal sense, I was reaching out to people, you know, like I said, via Hootsuite. But also in the physical sense, I'm this chick that's sitting there every single day, all day. People eventually start okay. talking to you. So what is Talk Nerdy to me, lover? It's talknerdytomelover.com, right? Yep, it's talknerdytomelover.com. And it's a phenomenally designed website, like I said. So <laughs> hilarious, the score space that I can absolutely not move it. Uh, but I'm, I'm proud of that, actually. But, um, but no, we've actually been um, optioned into a TV show. So I, have a, I had a put pilot over with CBS with Warner Brothers and Jerry Brockheimer. And then um, actually, you guys have the exclusive on this because um, I haven't even written about it yet. But um, I'm oh, shit. Of it. I know. How cool is this? But um, but I have a brand new pilot script and we have equal levels of talent attached and, and whatnot. And um, the pilot script is done. I just finished the deck. We're waiting on our notes because the project's so inherently visual that I didn't want to do like a traditional just word doc of like a show Bible of, you know, explaining season one, season two, season three in your arc. So I actually wound up learning design in my last startup. And so I, um, I literally designed it out myself and I, I was like fist pumping when we were done with it. Like it was just, <laughs> I've just never been, it's going to be one of these things where the, the first version of it was written by Morgan Murphy, who's phenomenal. And I absolutely adore 
adore her, but it was very, it was very vanilla. And it was like her version of the word nerd. And, um, in that life, this one's actually very true to the content from Talk Nerdy Me Lover. This, the pilot is all based on actual stories that happened when I was a DIY dom and I had foot slaves, which is awesome. <laughs> I know, I'm either going to be completely laughed out of Hollywood or I'm like, going to be completely embraced. I have absolutely no idea, yeah. but it's going to go one way or the other. People either are going to love it or you'll know. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to know I, if I'm, I get no. laughed out of the room. I feel like we could spend the rest of the episode breaking down the acronyms and the things that you just dropped in that one sentence. (laughs) (laughs) The first thing I feel like I need to mention is the only piece of industry speak in there that I think was really relevant. A put pilot deal means they're committing in your contract to put this on the air or else you get paid a hefty penalty. Yes. So when you get a put pilot order, that means you're this is getting made but that was the or point. else we're paying you out of check but see that was the point and that was the frustration was like when i came back so i didn't know any of this like all of this the the what happened was and i know, I know we briefly went over this earlier but um in 2012 as some of you know from talking to me lover um i just discovered that you know through all these adventures that i had done i wasn't actually happy and the whole purpose of, of the website was to just how do people get happy? I I just felt like I was creatively very frustrated. I felt like I was just always so quote unquote different. I didn't know how to be like everybody else. So, um, so I couldn't try anymore. I just had to be myself, but I didn't know what that meant either. So by 2012, I hit this funk. And then by 2013, I actually wound up ghosting the site. I fell in love. I moved to an Island. I walked away from everything. I told my family where I was going. I didn't even tell my friends that I was moving. So, um, so I wound up moving to this Island and and, uh, and kind of became a person instead of a persona, because it was one of these things where the site became so popular so quickly in Los Angeles that I kind of wound up pushing myself for the sake of pushing myself, like the, almost by an audience expectation versus pushing myself because I'm inspired to do something. So um, I just got super lucky that I was able to sort of go off the grid, develop, you know, what these personal skills truly meant. And then randomly one day I got an email from my agent right before the 4th of July holiday saying, hi, is your website for sale by any chance? Warner Brothers and Jerry Bruckheimer would like to option your life rights, trademarks and intellectual property. I hit the floor. I was like, this actually <laughs> happens in real life. Like what? What? So what a and it was, bizarre email to get. So yeah, not even a phone call, an email. Um, and then I, uh, it was a year later, they optioned it twice. And then it was a year later. Um, I was actually at a funeral when I found out that NBC made an offer, but yeah, but it was in a four way bidding war between all the major networks, ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox. So it was a what, what they call a pilot. And, um, but it was wild because when I came back to LA, like I was in such a weird insular environment down in, on this Island. But when I came back, all my friends that are these studio executives are like, I don't think you understand how big this is. Like, this is huge. This is like, you know, going to make your career, all of this. And then when it happened, it was, uh, January of 2016. Uh, I didn't, they were like, Les Moonbees is taking a look at it now. And I'm like, what's a Les Moonbees? I didn't know, but I really didn't know. Like, I didn't know who the, you know, the main dude at CBS was. I, I'm not, I'm peripherally involved in Hollywood, but it wasn't, I know like more pop culture, not the actual executive. That story works. That story works really well because no one else knows who he is. Yeah, right? Like if you're not... I don't know that he's even in control over there anymore. It sounded but... like a James Bond weapon. Yeah, like it, yeah, you wouldn't no. think that that's even a person. The, the head of CBS and whatever the, the apparent like corporation is i think maybe yeah His and so um moon moon less moonbees 
And so Les wound up picking The Great Outdoors over Talk Nerdy to Me Lover, which wound up being such a blessing in disguise because had they actually made the pilot and like, you know, that I would have, I would have lost my rights to it because I had, you know, the option would have been at that other stage where it's like, oh, this is a production. So basically what wound up happening was I got this ton of publicity. I got a ton of respect from, from executives in Hollywood that it got this far. So what I did was I got all of that back, all of my rights back. And I wound up just building my own team again with equal amounts of talent and names attached to it. And, uh, and yeah, and like I said, just finished the pilot script. So it's, uh, super, super exciting. And it's going to be a series of, you know, potential wins to, you know, first get this strategic partner on, and then maybe we get folded into this deal. So I'm not, sure how all of it's going to play out, but, um, but I'm not giving up. And this is like the little engine that could of a story that even my producer friends are like, how did you get this project done on spec, you know, and made so quickly? Cause I guess it, it takes, you know, obviously a while, it's a ton of meetings. I was like, I don't know. I just, I, I found the people and I'm like, that's it. You're it. This is it. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> and we did it. <laughs> you left a chunk out of that in between you created and sold a company on a TV show <laughs> in, in Texas, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. So a lot of other things were happening concurrently. Um, well, well I, I'm a natural. My, my personality type is an INTJ um, in Myers-Briggs, and I'm, it's actually super rare for female because I'm very analytical. I think more like a dude than I do like a chick. So, um, but being a chick is great because like it opens, I feel like a couple more doors because, you know, dudes will look at you and at least I'll get a meeting because they're like, well, she may or may not be hot. So that's at least got something going for me. So I, I, I am naturally a fixer and naturally someone that likes to build things. So I was on the Island and I saw the way that people receive their news was through a newspaper every week. And I'm like, oh man, come on, we got to get with the times. Um, so I built this app, which was basically like a proof of concept. And then I saw a friend of mine, I was on deal or no deal a thousand years ago and a couple other weird game shows and modeling gigs. But, um, but I, uh, saw my friend who was the casting director for that, say calling all entrepreneurs, you know, new hit show is looking for ideas. And I knew he was my dude and I knew he was legit. So whatever he was casting, you know, it's, it's always terrifying when you go on a, uh, any sort of show for season one, because you have no idea what you're about to experience. So, um, so I went on the show and pitched my, again, genuine proof of concept of an app, but I had enough of it done that, um, that I was able to, you know, present it and pitch it. And it wound up being the West Texas Investors Club, Brewster, Butch and Gill are my, my absolute family. I'm so happy that I made that decision. I've stayed at their house many of times. I've like gone rabbit hunting with their kids, like, I mean, one of them is a McConaughey. Yeah, right? Rooster McConaughey. So Rooster's uh, Rooster's Matthew's older uh, brother, and uh, and even his son Miller. There's something about the McConaughey boys. They just walk into a room and they just own it. There is like a next level of parenting from that mother. That like, my goodness gracious, these men. Because I mean, you know, I saw Miller from the time he was like nine until now he's like eleven or twelve, and just like. The, the age, you know, difference from the shy kid to like at 12 to have that level of confidence, you're just like, my God, but they're just wonderful people, great family. And, um, and in the end, yeah, I had a cash offer. So I got the investment from the guys. But then when I came home, I had a cash offer being like, we want, we want to buy this out. So I immediately took it because I was just like, okay, now what's next? And uh, that was when the show sold. So I was, I had a really great and very weird August of 2015, August and September, because the show was announced and it was all in the trades with the Brockheimer deal. 
And then like, like two weeks later, I was on CNBC. So basically all my friends were like, okay, well, well welcome back. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is totally random and unrelated. Do you remember Party with the Pelicans? Party with the Pelicans? Wait. The BP, like the oil spill yes. down in the Gulf was happening at the yes. time. And for like a three week period, you were trying to put together a project where you would find some sponsors and get an RV <laughs> and cruise down to like somewhere in Mexico to take care of the, the pelicans <laughs> covered in the milk. <laughs> that sounds exactly like something that I would do. Yes, a party with the pelicans. I completely forgot about that, but that sounds 100% accurate. You didn't find any sponsors, so it fell flat eventually. <laughs> but hey, I think I own a domain that I bought at the time, though, because we were talking about it. I was like, I got party with the pelicans.com. <laughs> but I think that's the point. And that's, you know, that's actually something that, you know, I mentioned when I, when I gave a TEDx talk uh, last year. But it was, you know, people only hear about those wins. They only hear about, like, oh, Brockheimer or CBS or, or anything in between. It's like, you know, I can't begin to tell you how many things I've tried and, you know, not I, see, it's never a fail because if you like by definition, if I've tried something then I've taken away an ounce of, of something from that, that I'm going to build towards my next project. So it's never really like a failure, but it's like, I've done so many things, had so many off the wall ideas that absolutely go nowhere <laughs> and, and uh, get lucky, you know, one out of every you know hundred times. And that sort of sums up the reason that I think well, like uh, we're still in contact. It's just because every once in a while, it's like, I got an idea that made me think of you. <laughs> and it's usually some ridiculous bullshit. And then, you know, we poke at it for a little while and, and don't proceed with it's it. It's so true. It's, well, it's funny. So um, I, I'm throwing, it's technically a non-birthday party this week, which obviously, Brian, you're more than welcome to come to. And Adam, I'm almost certain I sent you the invite. If I didn't, I'll send it to you. But, um, but bottom line was, was I, you know, I'm not like big on birthday parties or anything like that, but my parents happen to be coming into town. So I'm like, I just want my parents to meet my friends and I want to like play cool bar games and whatnot. But it was funny. I was going through my list on Facebook and I just know so many random people from these adventures. None of it ever makes sense. And I'm again, the kind of person that like, we will go years and not talk to each other. I will be like, Oh my God, I have this thing and you're the perfect person. And then I will contact you out of the blue and then we'll be on each other's radar screens for however long and then completely go off again. It's just, I don't know. It, it, I'm kind of a weirdo like that, but I wound up inviting like 200 people to this party because I'm just like, which obviously only like 40 will show up, but cause it's LA. But bottom line is, is I just laughed. I'm like, one, none of these people make sense Two, I'm like, I haven't even talked to these people in forever, but I'm like three, I just want everybody to come have a good time, come meet my parents and just like, let's just chill, man. Like, you know, I don't need to be like, Oh, I haven't talked to you in a while or, Oh, we don't have current phone numbers. It's like, who cares? We're going to pick up right where we left off and just shoot the shit. The people you can uh, let go of and then reunite with years later tend to be the the really interesting ones. Totally. I love those. But I don't know. I feel like that's just inherently more of who I am. Like I have my core group of friends, but I feel like that's just kind of how I've always been that it's like, you know, you don't, I don't ever, I don't ever say to someone, oh my God, I can't believe I haven't talked to you in this long or, oh my God, I don't have that personality type. So I don't know if people are reflecting upon what I'm giving out that they're just like, Jen, and they're equally as excited. And then again, we leave off right where we left off. I don't know if it's a sort of a, a nature or nurture thing in that regard, but I don't know. It, it works and I love it because then you get to reconnect with great people. I think I've just over the years managed to establish a group of people that are not interested in d drama, mm -hmm. basically. Totally. Like that feels like a super basic way to say it, but it's just like, like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't put up with no drama, 
But it's really just I've managed to get a group of people around me that just don't want to talk about the stuff that's just like, ah, I don't know. What are you going to do? But also, I tend to feel like you also, uh, yeah, I want to do better at talking about that stuff, which is part of what we're trying to do with the podcast is chase that squishy space where it's like, what do you, what, you know, what do you actually feel? What is, what do you what's actually going on in your life right now? What dumb drama you ran into today that's probably trivial? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that does color your perspective in any given interaction. It can. I mean, it's, but I think it's, you can look at it from, from two sides of the coin. One, you know, you have your, your real housewives level of drama of just like people constantly are creating, you know, what they want from life. And I, and I'll be it. That's a poor example because they're on a TV show and making a lot of money from it. So they have to keep perpetuating this drama, um, which, which I'm actually not a fan of, by the way, I'm starting to really dislike the franchise because it's just, it's very frustrating that I'm like, women don't normally act like this, but anyway, that's neither here nor there, but it really is. It's like, at the end of the day, it comes down to, you know, what you, what you really want from your life. And like, it's just like almost drama to me feels like a vibrational thing of like, I just don't even want to like tune to that level. It's just like, no, next moving on. But you know, you, you can accept at the same time, you know, that no matter what, we're all going to go through shit. We're going to have stuff going on and it might not necessarily be drama, but you can't really ignore that either. You have to kind of process what you're, what you're experiencing as weird as that sounds in a mechanical sense. And I think you've experienced at a high level, a thing that we, are starting to experience with our sort of engineering community because of the community of people we have around this, mostly in Los Angeles or San Diego where, you know, Brian and I live like I more often end up talking to people that I haven't seen in a long time, just about stuff from the podcast. Mm -hmm. There's one specific buddy of ours who all he ever wants to talk about is something that happened in an episode. <laughs> so anytime I see him in San Diego, but haven't seen him in two years, we're good. Because we just end up talking about some shit that's been on my mind lately anyway. Exactly. <laughs> that, well, that's all Talk Nerdy Me Lover was, was when people would, you know, see uh, see me out and about, they would mention like, oh my God, in this post. And then they would tell like their version of like a similar experience and whatnot. So I would, you know, be meet a random stranger on the street. They would know, you know, all this stuff about me. And they would just like, then we're sitting down at a table and I'm listening to a school teacher tell me about her S&M stories. Like with like five minutes of knowing each other, like really kind of strange. Um, yeah, but, it, but that's what happens when you put your life out there. And that's what happens when, you know, you do decide to have a voice and actually express it. Okay. So before we take the left turn into the DIY dumb S and M stuff, which I know is what everyone really wants to hear about. Uh, I got to go to the bathroom. Tell Brian about drop in. Yes. So uh, Drop-In is, uh, is my company, actually, I, uh, founded by Louis Ziskin, who's a genius of a human being, um, and I very, very much respect him. But, um, but I've been at the company since day two, and uh, we work in insurance and automotive, and we're a live video platform that allows uh, you to, for insurance, process claims um, faster. We virtually, virtually replace the need to send out an adjuster. And then for automotive, we flipped the workflow so we could actually get into revenue faster because the sales cycle is so long for insurance. So for automotive, we uh, let you preview a car anonymously before ever stepping foot onto the lot. So you can actually get a private tour of the vehicle, you know, similar to what you would do if you had the dealers, you know, FaceTime, for example. We have a live video feed, but only one way of, uh, of actually seeing the car. 
Interesting. So you're a service that sends a real person somewhere well, to basically no, just it's, um, manipulate a camera? Yeah. So what it is, is uh, we, for insurance, we have um, our direct capability. So we just send uh, the insurance adjuster using the platform just sends a quick text message to the customer and they mm-hmm. go live within seconds. And then it's okay. flipped for automotive. The dealer has, um, has the app downloaded on their phone and then they just get a live video request similar that they do to a phone call. They answer the call and then now they can see the, the exact car the customer wants. They just walk out to the car. So it's what we call a virtual up, which is an automotive term for like when you actually get up to greet a customer. So we right. virtually do that. So people can preview the car anonymously before ever stepping foot onto the lot. Interesting. How do you guys make money off of that? So we do. We charge We charge per call. Well, we have we okay. have different packages and whatnot. Like we have lead gen. Yeah, kind of. exactly. And we integrate um, into the CRMs. Awesome. And then for insurance, it's just, you know, per use. But we do have enterprise uh, pricing and whatnot. If we're, we're actually in the process of uh, being fully integrated with a tier one insurance carrier starting January 1st. So it's super exciting. exciting. Congrats. So between that and uh, everything with Talk Nerdy. Oh, man. Wait, which one is the side hustle? Yeah. Well, that, that's the thing. There's no, <laughs> there's no such thing. Like one, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I also, too, not a lot of people know this, but um, I did ghostwriting this year as well for, um, for Octane AI, which was Ben Parr and, and Matchlet's company. So I was actually the voice of like Rick Ross, Lindsay Lohan, Aerosmith, um, Kiss. Actually, Rick Ross asked me to join Team Ross A with one of my, uh, I'm actually going to print it out because like the series of text message conversations were phenomenal but yeah i mean you know me adam like i don't i i just i have to keep doing a bunch of weird things and then i take that you know one connection that one idea that one something that i did and i pull it into everything else that i'm doing so there's like this ecosystem of just this work that like one is constantly you know feeding and pulling the other sometimes it's a side hustle sometimes it's the main the main deal just i don't think of it as anything other than this is just what i do for for my work and my life and i think i mean i we've i've had meetings with the ceo at drop in because you were just like yeah, you got to talk yeah, to this he's guy a genius. and it was super awesome um and i think it overlaps with this whole like we beforehand we agreed not to talk to about talk about blockchain and cryptocurrencies because <laughs> we're going to do it in another episode <laughs> But like that idea of outsourcing that kind of stuff, it's it's in the wheelhouse that I can't shut up. Absolutely. About. Absolutely. But your minds too, like, I mean, obviously you're so smart, but like Lewis, he, I mean, the man literally made US history. Um, he was the largest ecstasy dealer. He got sentenced to life in prison. He uh, wound up uh, firing his attorney, taught himself law in the process, filed an appeal, uh, got the life sentence kicked out, but he uh, got sentenced to 15 years. He served 12, and I met him shortly after he came out of prison. All because I asked Ben Way out on Twitter because I thought he was hot. He was on this Bravo show, and his <laughs> sister was a fan of Talk Nerdy. She's like, come to the premiere. Come hang out with us. Met this really random girl there who's like, oh, you live in L.A.? Me too. This guy has an idea for a website. Can you help him? I'm like, yeah, whatever. And she goes, oh, well, he just got out of prison, so you can only meet him at very random times. I'm like, that is a story. That is interesting. I'm immediately coming to meet him and all these years later right. two projects in it's it's uh, it's been great so jen i mean you have such interesting stories for how you've gotten involved in all your projects and <laughs> i mean from i'm extremely inspired like i am my life is full of hobbies and projects and stuff but the inspiration the level of inspiration coming from the adventures that you've had is just mind-boggling what a what like what enabled you to uh, be that 
type of person? What enabled you to like just do whatever is coming at you? Yeah. Um, well, I actually this was really fortunate. Um, it was it was ten years ago um, this year. I wound up uh, having a nervous breakdown when I was 22, and uh, it was at the time obviously utterly terrifying because I was put on a 5150 and uh, actually wound up talking my way out of it. So I was only on hold for 48 hours instead of 72. But um, bottom line was, was he told me, the doctor said, he's like, you know, I, I wound up, one, you go into this total freak out mode, but you realize like, oh my God, I'm actually on a 5150 right now. I need to get my shit together, keep my cool. That's the only way I'm going to talk my way out of this. So, um, so I was like volunteering, helping out in any way that I could. And the doctor pulled me aside and he's just like, Jenny's like, why are you here? He's like, you're obviously super stressed out. I was, I was sexually harassed a lot in my job, uh, with, uh, with the cellular company, just because it was the nature of, of the job. It was like, which is horrible to say, but I was dealing with just a lot of men and I was, you know, brought in to fail at 22 being like, she can't sell cellular activations. Chicks don't know tech. She can't do it. And I literally left top rep in the nation, but I was just so stressed out all the time. So it wound up being this blessing in disguise because I had the nervous breakdown and he literally told me, I I just felt like I was crazy. And he literally told me, he's like, you're not crazy. You just need to find something that you can devote yourself to creatively. And he goes, you're very smart. So he goes, you're going to get very frustrated and you're going to end up back in a situation like this. So um, they actually did wind up putting me on lithium and it was like the worst month of my life. Um, I could like hear my voice outside of my body. They totally thought I was bipolar for a hot minute and like doctors are just so full of shit. So I pulled myself off all of that. Um, thank God. And, uh, but then a couple months later, I wound up losing everything I owned in a massive cockroach infestation. It was uh, July uh, 7th, 7707. So not only did I lose my mental state, I lost my physical state of, I literally had one box left to my name, wow. but the best friends you could ever ask for that I'm still dear friends with to this day. They, um, let me stay on their couch, get back on my feet. And I did. So I just kind of looked around and I was in like a haze and I was working for the founder of MySpace app during that time, which was cool because that was like my therapy. And um, and I was just in this weird haze and I didn't know what to do. And I, you know, wanted to go back to what I called life casting because I thought the term blogger was derogatory. So I wanted to get back into life casting. And then it wasn't until, you know, the 140 conference, November 3rd, you know, 2009, that I was just like, this is it. This is going to be big. But had I not had that mental breakdown, had I not lost everything that I owned, I don't, I, I just felt like I didn't have a choice. I had already tried killing myself twice. Mm-hmm. I failed. And then I wound up in a, in a, you know, institution. I'm like, and I'm told that I'm not crazy, but then put on pills and then really told I'm not crazy. Like none of it just made sense. I just had to figure out what all of that meant for myself. And it does, it affects your family. It'll affect your friends. It, you know, now, fortunately, those relationships are repaired. But at the time, everyone thinks you're, you're loco. I mean, literally, but all I could say was I have the paperwork, I'm not crazy. (laughs) Um, And I just wanted to to figure out, you know, if I was going to kill myself, then what was that next day going to be like? What was that week after going to be like, if I'm dead, I'm dead, I lose all the labels of sister, friend, you know, lover, whatever. So what did that mean for myself? And that was what I wanted to find out. Well, so is that whole story well first of all thank you for sharing all of that and is that whole story captured in the pilot in the series or is it more the time period not the not the pilot series yeah it it depends it's the way that it's set up right now it could be it depends upon what you know kind of layers and direction that they want to take it 
in the pilot in its current form, because, um, you know, they, the character is very much based on me, but it's actually like aesthetically she looks nothing like me, but it's just basically we made her more of a traditional nerd just from like a creative perspective. But um, but they she goes on this journey of sort of being this doormat to then, you know, discovering accidentally through Tinder, which is how mine happened. I, I became a dom because I tweeted out that my feet hurt and from running. So I wound up getting a slave and a Nike sponsorship um, at the same time, which is wild. And um, <laughs> I got new running shoes. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, but it's, but the character kind of accidentally ends up in this world and it's sort of her exploration in it, but it was, all of its true blue of what, you know, those experiences actually occurred. When I first, um, you know, got into it before accepting my first slave, I was like, I need to know about this. I need to have an experience with this before I commit to, to owning something. That was just kind of common sense to me. So my friend um, happened. So when you post so much of your sex life and your, your life online, your friends tell you everything. So I happened to know that my friend was a switch, what they call a switch. So he's both a sub and a dom. So he's like, why don't you come to my house and, and, uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll, you know, we'll do a session. So I was absolutely terrified and, you know, walk up to this huge mansion because he's, he was on a popular TV show for at, at the time. And, um, and so I just knock on the door and I'm like, oh my God, is he going to be in like assless chaps? Like, is there like a hood? Like I was literally shaking and, um, he wasn't, it was just him. And he uh, told me to bring a bottle of wine. He's like, you're going to need this to loosen up. So we just sat and chatted for like, I don't know, a half hour. And then we got into it. And when um, I learned just very firsthand from having that experience and then doing the experience to him, kind of what that meant. And uh, he told me to tell to tell all my slaves that I'm sadistic because like we also tried trampling and like, I really, I, I like went for it. Cause when I'm committed to something, I am in it. So he's like, you have to warn your slaves. Cause he's like, this really is your first time. He goes, you're, you're very effective at what you're doing. <laughs> so, but it was cool. You're using so many good words that I, that I don't know what they mean, but they're, <laughs> they have a lot of, like they inspire a lot of imagery. <laughs> but it was neat because, you know, I learned, you know, and as we were writing the pilot script, like I actually even told the gal that I'm, you know, she was the actual physical writer. I get like story by credit and created by and all that. But credits obviously change, you know, when you involve showrunners and all that stuff. So I'm not really married to any of that. But bottom line is, as I told her, I was like, you have to have an experience to understand what this world is like, because you're not going to understand the subtleties of the words, please, thank you, and the smell of leather and the sound that shoes make when you're in that stage and that mindset. It's super powerful, but it's all very, very, very subtle. And I was like, the people that are going to get it are going to get it. And the ones that don't, we don't even want this <laughs> to them anyway. <laughs> so the, the attention to detail on the pilot is, is true blue to any nerd that we are down to the minutia of accuracy, which I'm very, very proud of. There's an, there's an aspect to that, the story of how that came to be that reminds me. It's kind of funny because we actually, I think we went to see him at one point um, back in the day, uh, Kevin Smith. Oh, yeah. We did go to like his whole story of becoming a filmmaker is very much like I just didn't see the life that I knew and so many other generally nerdy people knew on screen. And so I wanted to tell those stories. Exactly. Well, that's exactly this. So but it's but it's again, it's from the female perspective and it's from this using these tech tools. It's not like a true narrative of like, you know, Silicon Valley style of really talking about the tech. It's like the tech sort of fueling these connections and like the understanding of power within that. 
which is also so rampant in tech. The, the boys club, you know, is, is utterly ridiculous. But, um, but that to me was so inherently fascinating. And the characters that are in this are, you know, some of them are based on people that I know aspects of it. They're like all combinations, but it's so true. And, and Alex is the main character. Her character in general is just so true to both the nerd culture. And from what I know, from my perspective of, of going through that experience, what it was actually like. So it's a hybrid of this very truthful, authentic experience into something that most people would consider a very extreme act. But I, I quite frankly, I don't think it is at all. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> well, just the idea that this creating this stuff is your response to the, the, the feeling like you were watching what was out there mm -hmm. the same way Smith was. And your reaction is very like, uh, women don't act like no, this. But that's the thing. That <laughs> like, no, there's another story to tell here. And it's the, you know, it's simultaneously the one you experience, the one that you have built a whole brand around. And then this thing that's, you know, like I, I trust as a guiding force for this TV show that it's going to be. Absolutely. Well, it was, it was also too, I mean, you know, I'm both creative and analytical, so it was common sense. So like, we the the original version of the pilot, not the one Morgan did. This was the first one we did together. It wasn't it wasn't anything in the in its current form. We literally went right back to square square one. And I said to her, I was like, you know, the gal I was working with, who's phenomenal, and she's already had you know major success in television. Um, I said to her, I was like, I, I the most popular posts still to this day on Talking to Me Lover are anything related to being having my foot slaves, and um, and that death fetish post is is also really popular, which I'll I'll tell you all about that in a moment too. There are actually is such a thing as a death fetish. But um, bottom line was, was I told her, I was like, we just need to anchor a story around that. And I'm like, that's just common sense. So then that was a whole other rabbit hole in another six months. But it was so right and authentic that by the time both the pilot script and the deck that just got finished, when they were both done, like I said, I'm fist pumping because I just can feel when I know that something's right. And it's like, it is just so right. And if people get it great, but I'm like, this is, this is the story that needs to be told. This is how it should have been done. And this is how it is going to be done. The, uh, the, part of that explanation that I thought was funny is that you, you essentially referred to like analytic data. Yeah. You're like, this one has the most traffic. It has the most demonstrated interest. We're going to bear down. Exactly. On Even though it's a thing where you're like, okay, if I needed to do market research in the territory that you're talking about, I'd start looking at the market reports that Pornhub puts Exactly. Out, but it's just really. Which they do. And it's really funny because it's a reference, like it's a, it's a reference of search terms in different states in different countries. Oh, I love those. Seeing, seeing, what's, just... seeing what's popular in, in different states and what people are actually looking up in terms of uh, their fetishes and porn. OkCupid does the same type of reporting, or at least they did. Yeah. But it's dating stats rather than. But I love it. I mean, it's uh, common sense. It's like if I have access to this data and, you know, there's over 7,500 blog posts, there's probably more than that now on Talk Nerdy. But it's like if I have access to, you know, this, this, all these stories, it's common sense that you would go to your analytics and be like, this one's the most popular. I mean, I still, to this day, get emails with dudes asking to be my foot slave. And I'm just like, it was so awkward when I was in, I was in two wonderful relationships on the island. There's nothing weirder than being at like a dinner or whatever, you know, opening up your email and just reading like, I can't wait for you to humiliate me. And like, this is what I'm into. <laughs> like, I just couldn't go there with the guys that I was dating. Cause I was like, uh, they're not really into this stuff. So um, yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting and it's, it's caused some interesting conversations with the families at the holidays as well. So 
What an interesting context in which to need to craft a polite reply. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I ignore them, but then that makes it even worse because that's what they're into. So I have to completely ignore it or it just doesn't stop. Man. Well, it's, I I don't know where to, I'm like, okay, we got to get out of here because we're running long. I I'm just, everything you're doing is super cool. (laughs) Uh, I'm excited to see the show once it pops up. Absolutely. And thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This is very, uh, and I like it the way, just so you guys know, the way they have it set up is that you're actually on Skype as well. And I thought that was a little weird at first, but no, like, I feel like we genuinely had this like really (laughs) rad conversation. It totally works. You have to have Skype. I would, I would, I'd rather have the power to have everyone in person, but you need, you know, you, you, we're just not at that level where people will fly to our city to be on the show. <laughs> not yet. I hope to be there. We will have a rad studio for people to come hang out in. I can promise that. Love it. But until then, this is fantastic. And this has been a great conversation. You have had so much energy to share and so <laughs> many weird stories. <laughs> Uh, we could break this down and obviously we could turn on, turn this into a whole TV show. Um, but thank I'm you for honored to have my own weird part in it. Love it. Well, thank you so much for, for being on Foursquare and being an early adopter. Cause that set into motion so many different things and adventures. Right. Weird. What is Foursquare still? No, but they're still, they they're still, still there. Exist. Checking in. People it's don't not... really do anymore. Yeah. It was an interesting yeah. time. Anyway, thanks to all of our listeners for hanging out. And special thanks, as always, to our backers on Patreon that throw us as little as a buck an episode to keep this thing this thing rolling. And then the next best thing you can do is rate and review on iTunes. That's how all of the other algorithms are seeded. So hit us up there. And thanks to those who have. This is Is Engineering Podcast. I'm Adam. I'm Brian. I'm Jen. Take it easy, everybody. We don't